Welcome to the Bible study. We're in the last two chapters of Romans, and today we're going to look at Romans 15. Will you please join me in prayer before we begin? Gracious and holy God, we ask that you would guide us as we look at your scripture today, specifically, Lord, focusing on unity and what it means to be called by you to serve you and you alone, Lord. We ask that you would inspire us, Lord, that we would be both encouraged and challenged by your word. Thank you that we can gather together in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, chapter 15 really is kind of an extension of 14, especially the first section up to the first 13 verses. And it really is a continuation talking about the unity that Paul is calling the church to. As you saw last week, there's some specific issues that Paul is just trying to address, asking the people, guys, we can really get along. We can really do this together as Christians, as people of faith. So that's in chapter 14, a lot of what is talked about, both how they eat and what they eat and, and how they um, address one another. And then in chapter 15, building upon 14, he again continues with unity, but this time he's talking about the strong helping the weak, and that is talking about spiritual strength, not economic, uh, not gender, not power in the way that we think, but those whose just faith is really, really strong and others whose faith is struggling. And Paul is trying to encourage those who are strong to help those that are weak. And the way in which he does it is he focuses it on pleasing others, not... Um, not bullying them or making them feel badly because you're strong and they're weak, but rather to bear with them. And not, and not in a sense of tolerating, but truly as a sense to carry or support those who are weak and thinking about others more than yourself. And how can you give of yourself? And we have great examples of that. Uh, but not puffing up oneself as, as stronger than the other and you might note, you know, in the first couple of verses that Paul identifies with the strong. That's how I know he's really talking about faith here. And so as he identifies with this, he's speaking spiritually, but he wants them to care and share for one another. And uh, not to be self-focused, but rather to be other-focused. And of course, the perfect example of that is in Jesus Christ. And we see both in um, Philippians, if you've ever studied Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, Christ, who was equal with God, did not consider that as something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself, emptied himself of all that he was, taking on the form of a servant. That is a great example of how we're called to serve one another. Now, also we see that... Um, Paul is using here in verse 3, he quotes from Psalm 69 and says, As the insults, those who insult you have fallen on me. So you see this reference in Psalms to the Messiah and how the Messiah has taken on the mantle of God, that the insults given to God, they now bear because they're a servant of God. That's how we should be for one another. The neighbors, we should please our neighbors, not so that we look good, but so that they feel good about who they are. The way in which we do that 
is by self-sacrifice, giving of ourselves to others in the way that Christ gave himself to us. So it, it kind of attests to the way in which unity is obtained through steadfastness and encouragement, which produces hope. And we see that scripture shows us how that is that example. And then Paul uh, gives us first three of, um, or, or of his first of three benedictions. And the first comes at the end of verse five and six. It's benedictions are always a blessing. So when Paul is talking to them about being encouraged and caring for one another and having this unity, he kind of makes this pause and he gives them this blessing, um, a, a word of encouragement, that word steadfastness, that word encourage, the word hope is all used in the blessing that's given. And then he, after he gives this introduction of the unity of the strong to the weak, then he talks about how the gospel is for everyone. And Jew and Gentile, and, and you're either a Jew or, or you're a Gentile. You know, so you're all included in this. And so Paul is saying that, that the gospel is for everyone. And he begins to unpack it. And there are no second-class citizens within the people of God. If we begin to think that we're better, either because um, of our denomination or because um, we value more certain things, then we've, we've lost the heart of Christ. We're all equal in this. We're all important. We're all part of that gospel, and we share in that gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to get across. That's not an easy thing, either for uh, pagan Gentiles who, who uh, were Greek and thought and thought highly of themselves, or the Jews who were obviously the, you know, the chosen people. And so Paul is trying to help them understand how important the unity is, how important it is for them to be together. And um, he talks about that Christ is God's gift of reconciliation uh, to all people, not simply to uh, the Jews, even though Jesus was a Jew. And because the, the Jews hesitated, they rejected Jesus, that opened the door much more fully for Gentiles. But it's not the only place in the New Testament where we see God who is inclusive and reaching out and including the Gentiles to be part of the blessing that comes from being uh, in the covenant or being part of, of the people of God as the Jews were. And um, as we look at the unity of the Jews, um, in verses 7 through 13, we see some things that are really important. First, that Christ accepted you and welcomed you as you should do for one another. There's your example again. We keep trying to look for other people. Well, you know, uh, this person's kind of my example. You know what? Make Christ your example. If Christ is that example, you can't go wrong. As soon as we begin to say, well, you know, so-and-so is really good, but they're not perfect, then then we're lost, then we no longer have that unity. We begin to kind of lower our standards, but our standard is Christ Jesus, who emptied himself, gave himself up for us. That's what we do. He becomes a servant and a savior for both Jews and Gentiles. And through the covenant promise of the Jews, uh, 
Gentiles come out of the mercy of God. And here Paul uses several uh, Old Testament scriptures to affirm the Messiah um, is, is both for the Jew and the Gentile. Now again, New Testament scripture wasn't there, so he's going to Old Testament. That's a word for us, folks. The Old Testament is still important. It's essential. We need to know it. We need to study it as well as the New Testament. In fact, the Old Testament helps define and assures us and helps us understand the gospel in Jesus Christ. So first he talks about that God is praised among the Gentiles, and he uses the scripture from Psalm 18 and also 2 Samuel. And secondly, Moses proclaims and calls Israel's the Israelites and the Gentiles to rejoice, to rejoice in God, to do this together. And that's from Deuteronomy. And then in verse 11, Paul tells us to praise God of all nations for his steadfast love is great. And he's quoting from Psalms 117.1. Praise God, all you nations, for his steadfast love is great. That steadfastness that we just talked about earlier is for everyone. And then in verse 12, and the one who rises up through the root of Jesse will bring hope to the Gentiles. And there's that prophetic word that as um, Jesus comes from the root of Jesse, that that root is, is reaching out and including the Gentiles in that. And we see that from Isaiah chapter 11. Paul gives now the second benediction using the word hope in this. And, um, you know, uh, may the, the hope that we have in Christ abound in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Once again, we're feeling that blessing that Paul is giving to the people. Now, we're going to move to a new section. So again, the first 13 verses had to do with the unity and how Paul is calling us for unity to care for one another, those of us who are strong, help those of us who are weak, those of, we, of us who are weak, let people minister to you. Because as you get strong in your faith, you'll in turn be able to share and serve other people. In the next section, verses 14 through 22, Paul talks about his own confidence in the work through Jesus Christ. Paul talks about three things that identify him. His priestly ministry, his uh, powerful ministry, and his pioneering ministry. And Paul, you know, we always think, who are we in Christ Jesus? Paul really knows who he is. He knows what he's been called to do. And so he wants to assure the people in Rome of who he is in Christ and that the reason why he's coming to him with such power, with such force, with such um, forthrightness, um, boldness, is because he knows his calling. And the first, as I said, is that it is uh, Paul's priestly calling. He wants to sanctify the people. He wants to um, offer, help them to offer themselves. And as he's offering himself, that is very priestly, Old Testament language, but also priestly language and offering ourselves. Does that remind you of anything like in Romans 12, 1 and 2, a living sacrifice offering ourselves to God? Here we have that, that priestly manner. And in a real sense, folks, 
We are the priesthood of all believers. We're all called together as, as uh, Second Peter talks about this. We're called to be a royal priesthood and to use the gifts to help people, um, to help them be who they're supposed to be, people of faith, people of, um, of, that offer themselves and are sanctified um, by giving themselves to God. This is the language of Old Testament. This is the language that we see also in the New Testament. And then Paul is about a powerful ministry. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is really great because Paul talks about how God uses him to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Great Trinitarian language that Paul continues to use uh, throughout Romans, but specifically again here. He talks about the signs and wonders. And those signs and wonders are, are working in both word and deeds. And you see in the book of Acts, you see miracles that happen. You see the way in which God's spirit really moved. Those are the signs and wonders. People were amazed at how Paul preached. He was anointed. People were amazed in the way in which Paul ministered. So you saw both that word and work that Paul did for bringing the gospel to people. And then in verses 19 through 22, Paul talks about his pioneering ministry. Paul is first and foremost an evangelist. Most of us go, not my gift, I don't want to do this, but for Paul, boy, he's there, that's what he wants to do, that's who he is. And his calling, felt so strongly with this, his calling was to go from Jerusalem out into the world to bring the gospel. And he talks about he's completed his ministry that started from Jerusalem to the Eastern Mediterranean. He has this kind of arc of ministry that he's done, that he's shared that gospel. That is his calling. And although he did not uh, start the church in Rome, he feels a, a kinship with them. He wants to see them. That's part of his ministry. But that ministry that he's about to partake of, um, it brings with it always a heart to take the gospel further. So even in his wanting to come to Rome, we're going to see he, he it's just a stopping place for him as he's going further. And um, when you think, you know, what does it mean for him to have a priestly ministry? Uh, the, the major roles in the priestly ministry how does that help us identify in the way in which we're called to priestly ministry, the powerful ministry? How is it that people see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, doing the work, doing things that we thought we would never do? You know, um, things that we thought, oh, no, no, no. Uh, whether we're giving of ourselves or giving of our resources, that's a powerful ministry. The way in which we share our faith becomes a powerful tool as we're obedient to Christ. And then uh, the pioneer. Where has God called you to go? For most of us, especially during COVID, we're not going very far right now. But where has God called you? Is it across the street? Is it um, in letters? Uh, do you write love letters? I mean, Paul's letters, highly effective. Highly effective. What are the way in which we are pioneers for Jesus? And so Paul talks about 
This is who he is. This is why I can speak to you so boldly because I know who I am. I'm called to a priestly duty. I'm called in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm called to go out into the world as a pioneer, you know, blazing the trail. And, uh, and we see that in who Paul is throughout his ministry. And then the last section, the last 10 verses, 23 through 33, Paul talks about his travel plans, his purpose, and then his prayer requests. And here we have again the heart of Paul. He tells of his plan to visit Rome, Jerusalem, and Spain, all for distinct and important theological and practical reasons. He also solicits their prayers. And if you're on the prayer chain of our church, or if you're a deacon or, or part of our uh, program staff, you pray often and we share, as folks have asked us to, prayer requests. People are in need of prayer. And we continue that ministry today. But Paul solicits the people in Rome. He hasn't even met them yet, but he, he's going to. He's planning to do that. That's his hope. That's his prayer. And so he said, will you please pray with me? Will you please pray about these things? And then he unwraps what he's going to do. And it really begins at the end of, of uh, verse 22. He's coming to Rome. And um, even though, again, he didn't start the church, he really wants to see them. He feels a kindred spirit to them. He's encouraged them. He's written to them. I'm the, you know, the Romans um, 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. It's a power of salvation, first to the Jew and to the Gentile. He wants to see this church. He wants to be there. And so he said, I'm going to come and visit you by way of Jerusalem. Now, Paul is in Corinth. And so he's saying, I'm coming to see you in Rome, and I hope to encourage you, and I hope to be encouraged by you. By the way, I'm, I'm first going um, to go via Jerusalem, which is about 2,000 miles out of his way. Um, and so even though I long to see you, I'm just going to take this short uh, stop. It's kind of like when people come to America and they're coming to New York and they go, oh, is that close to LA? And you're like, well, no, that's like 2,700 miles away. Oh, you're you're going to be in you know Montana. Can you just drop drop over and 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 can we just go visit Hollywood? Is it is it close to there? You know, it's kind of the same thing. But plus, like I'm going out of my way, but I'm coming to see you after I go to Jerusalem. And now, why is he going first to Jerusalem? The Gentiles have gathered together funds for Jerusalem. Jerusalem is suffering. They're in poverty. They are in great need. Now, Jerusalem is uh, predominantly a, a Jewish Christian community. And so uh, the, the church uh, that Paul has been collecting around the Corinthian areas, around um, that part of the Mediterranean, are mostly Gentiles. And um, so they have made a collection, and he wants to bring this significant offering. And we don't know why Jerusalem is suffering. We don't know if it's a famine. Uh, many commentators think it's also because um, they were so enthusiastic when they first became Christians that they literally, literally gave everything away um, without thinking, where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to eat? What am I, you know? were my tools to work, so that they ended up being in great poverty um, 
that may have been part of it. It may have been the famine that I was talked about during that time. Whatever it is, the people really want to reach out and help them. They want to serve them. And these are the Gentiles. Now, some could say, um, why are they doing this? Uh, are they doing this because they want to feel like, well, look, we've arrived too, and because uh, we have wealth now, you're, 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 um, you have to take this from us because we can help you? Or are they really trying to do this to say, thank you? As Gentiles, we're indebted to you because Jesus, who came first to the Jews, you have now brought to us and shown us that you are are uh, bringing us the gospel. So we feel that um, we have a tremendous debt to you, our Jewish Christian brothers and sisters, for sharing the gospel. And so we're bringing this as a love offering to you. No strings attached, just as a thank you, as a love offering to you. And Paul is bringing it to them. And, um, and as Israel um, has claimed the Messiah, Jesus Christ, it, it, it insists to the Jewish Christian that their Messiah is the one Lord of Gentiles as well. And we see that um, talked about in, in Romans time and again in chapter 3 and chapter 9 and, and in chapter 10. It's still difficult um, to receive gifts. I don't know about you, but um, when I was a child, <clears throat> my mother would be driving, and if she had to come to a quick stop, my father the same, you know, the cars can pile up, so we're driving, and, and they'd come to a quick stop, and they'd always reach across, put their hand out to make sure we were okay. How many of us have now had our children who are driving us for whatever reason, mostly because they are speed demons, and they um, drive and they're coming to a stop and they reach out to protect us now. There's kind of this uh, both collaboration that we, we're, we're trying to be safe, but there's this, this change where the Gentiles are saying, you have taken care of us, you have protected us, you have shown us the real truth. Now we want to get back to you and care for you in the same way. And so they, um, they share in, in caring for the church in Jerusalem and caring for them by saying, thank you, we're so indebted to you. And this is but a small token of what you've given to us. And then Paul talks about his travels to Spain via Rome. He so wanted to go beyond the arc of where he had gone. He wanted to go to Rome to meet the people there. Somebody else had established the church there. But then he wanted to go on to Spain, and that was his plan. So he's coming into, um, into Rome on his way to Spain, having stopped first in Jerusalem. Um, he kept wanting to expand the gospel. We see, about, we see that in 2 Corinthians. Um, here's the deal. We don't know if he made it to Spain or not, though... Um, in the book of Clement, which comes much later in the year 96 and 97, in the common era, we hear from Clement, he talks about Paul and his far-reaching influence in the West. Um, but Paul ends with this, with a prayer petition. He asks for three things. He requests prayer for um, our Lord and the love of the Spirit to earnestly pray to God. There we have that Trinitarian statement again. 
protection from unbelievers in Judea while he's headed into Jerusalem. And the reason why is that they were angry that one who had been a, a Jew among Jews and had fought for the Jews and had tried to stop the Christians has now embraced the Christian and is coming to Jerusalem to bring the church funds. And he's not sure what kind of opposition will be there. So he seeks their prayer. He seeks the acceptance of the ministry in Jerusalem, i.e., if I'm bringing them the monies, the funds from their uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, Gentiles, I pray that it's successful. I pray that they will accept it in the manner to which it is given as a gift, as an indebtedness for what they have given to um, what what the Jews have given to the Gentiles and bringing them Jesus. And then an arrival in Rome, uh, to arrive in Rome safely. And that's his prayer. And so he asks these three things. And then again, we have the third and the last benediction, and that is peace be with you. Now, brothers and sisters, I pray that this chapter is rich for you, that you learn a great deal as you talk about it with one another, or share or study it on your own. But I have to ask this question. In Paul's prayer, how much of what he prayed came to fruition in the way in which he hoped? And does that stop us from praying and asking for prayer? I pray that it does not. May God bless you as you study his word together this week. Amen.